it's rare anymore to be able to hear Mr. Wagner lead us in worship, and I always appreciate the way he has with words. You'll notice he said he was going to let the children escape. I thought that was fitting, okay? Uh, on Sunday nights, we are on this series called God's Amazing Grace. And essentially, if you haven't been a part of that before, we're trying to look at how God poured his unearned, unmerited favor toward people in the story, in this story. And so we gradually started at Genesis and moving ever so slowly but surely through the pages of the holy text. And tonight we're coming to the story of a woman who had a very difficult problem. And her problem is found for us in 1 Samuel chapter 1. We'll be in verses 10 through 20 as the basic part of the uh, the text, the key text, I guess. We'll be in other scriptures as well, as you know. The woman's name was Hannah. Her husband was Elkanah. And the problem was very simple. She was beloved, loved very much. In fact, Elkanah had two wives, um, but she was the favored wife. And even though she was beloved, she was barren. She was unable to have children. And that didn't seem to bother her husband. It really didn't seem to bother most anyone except for Hannah. So we'll look at how she deals with this. But if you have your text open, I hope you'll read along with me as we... Uh, or Follow along as I read to you from 1 Samuel chapter 1. And I'll just give it one verse of context by going to verse 9. After they had eaten and drunk in Shiloh, Hannah rose. Now Eli the priest was sitting on the seat uh, beside the doorpost of the temple of the Lord. She was deeply distressed and prayed to the Lord and wept bitterly. And she vowed a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your servant and remember me and not forget your servant, but will give your servant a son, then I will give to him to the Lord all the days of his life and no razor shall touch his head. As she continued praying before the Lord, Eli observed her mouth. Hannah was speaking in her heart. <clears throat> Only her lips moved, and her voice was not heard. Therefore Eli took her to be a drunken woman. And Eli said to her, How long will you go on being drunk? Put your wine away from you. But Hannah answered, No, no, my lord, I am a tr woman troubled in spirit. I have drunk neither wine nor strong drink, but I have been pouring out my soul before the Lord. Do not regard your servant as a worthless woman, for all along I have been speaking out of my great anxiety and vexation. Then Eli answered, Go in peace. and The God of Israel grant your petition that you have made to him. And she said, Let your, let your servant find favor in your eyes. And then the woman went her way and ate, and her face was no longer sad. They rose early in the morning and worshipped the Lord before the Lord, and they went back to their house at Ramah. And Elkanah knew Hannah, his wife, and the Lord remembered her. And in due time, Hannah conceived and bore a son. And she called his name Samuel, for she said, I have asked for him from the Lord. 
Um, so Hannah has this problem in that she's barren. It's a problem that, uh, at least certainly in that day and age, they didn't have the ability really to do anything about. It was just either you could have children or you couldn't. But And especially if you're a woman, uh, you understand the difficulty, and there are many women and some who cannot have children or some who have tried to have children and have lost them. Uh, it's a very, very emotional thing, uh, especially for uh, at the age we would presume Hannah to have been. You can imagine that there were other women her age, uh, probably that were in that stage of beginning to have children and the joy that they had and, and maybe having more than one child and just the the joy and the way that their lives were changing. And here she is wondering, why can't I have any children? Worse than that was the fact that her rival, uh, the other uh, wife of Elkanah, uh, was beginning to provoke her. Uh, Verse 6 of chapter 1 says, Her rival used to provoke her grievously to irritate her because the Lord had closed her womb. The problem was real, and yet Hannah could really not do anything about it on her own and remain childless. I love that the story is in here in particular because it's a problem, and it's always been a problem. I think it's part of just living in a broken world that there are some people who are unable to have children or have lost children. And it's very deep, and and no doubt uh, for people of faith, there have been tears and prayers of anguish poured out unto the Lord, just like Hannah did as she struggles with her barrenness. Um, It holds some important reminders. Her story holds some very important reminders for our story. Uh, The first reminder is this. Um, that you've got to ask. This will be the next slide, gentlemen. Um, the, uh, it, it starts with bringing your petitions and your requests before the Lord. And yet, many times, we struggle with doing this. We shouldn't, for people of faith. Uh, we believe and trust in the Lord, but sometimes it can be difficult. And, and one of the challenges is that you get in the comparison game or you get into looking at what other people have been given or what you may have not been given. Now, I, I cannot relate to the, to the problem which Hannah is suffering, okay? So I'm giving you an analogy that is, I'm not making an apples-to-apples comparison. I'm just giving you sort of an, uh, an analogous comparison that I can relate to. Several years ago, uh, we were in the process of moving, and we had a realtor who was helping us, had told us all the things to do to sell our house, and then we, we put it on the market. And it just so happened that that was the season of life for a lot of people here at Northside. And so a lot of people had their house, houses up for sale. And so, you know, you're kind of, you're, you're in that waiting moment, that moment from when the sign goes up to when you get a contract. And it's just like, it's the hardest, most difficult part. And And it just seems like, I mean, every single time we're here, Sunday or Wednesday, they're saying, our house sold, our house sold, it's so great. And, and we've got more than we were asking for. We had a bidding war, we got a cash offer, and, and you're trying to be happy for them. And you're, you're wondering, Lord, you know, is this, could, you, could you do for me what you've done for them? 
human beings get caught up in the comparison game, and we, we wonder if God is being fair and just, and we have to pull back from that and understand that just because God does not treat you in the same way does not mean that he's not working. Your fairness and God's fairness are two very different things. Uh, and so we need to remember that. Now, <clears throat> as we said, Hannah's problem obviously much deeper, much, much more emotionally, spiritually, even physically and physiologically connected for her. It was, it was a deep problem. When you read chapter 1 of 1 Samuel, when you read 1 through 9, you see that her problem led to deep sadness, envy, jealousy, frustration, fighting, coveting, and bitterness. And wouldn't you have a problem, and especially when it comes to looking, when you begin to step back and go, wait a second, how come, how come God did that for them? It can, it can take us off in the wrong direction if we're not careful. So fortunately, Hannah did not get caught up in that to a great deal. What did she do to resolve her problem? I mean, like we said, she couldn't really fix the problem, but she did the best thing I think she could to solve her problem. And that is she prayed in her deep anguish. Hannah prayed to the Lord. Um, which I don't know if you've ever been in a situation like that where you have had a situation of very deep anguish, having lost something or having lost someone. But that kind of prayer in those kind of moments is a very different kind of prayer. Now, I'm a person that believes, as I believe most of you do, that prayer should be a regular part of the rhythm of the disciples' life. We pray when we wake up. We pray when we go to bed. We pray at mealtime. We pray for people. We, you know, All of that. Now, nothing wrong with that. Please don't misunderstand. That there is a difference in the, the regular rhythm of prayer that we have as a part of the, the daily journey that we are on following Christ. But there are times when you break the rhythm. At times of deep anguish and sadness. Where you, I mean, just everything you have goes into that prayer. It, 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 it's, not, it's, not, it's not about even all thinking about all the things you should pray. and I mean, it's just a total pouring out of the heart and of self. And entrusting that to your Father. I've seen some times like that at, here at Northside. Or we've prayed as a congregation in a way we've asked and we've poured out. And it's not, it's not the normal, you know, opening prayer or Lord's Supper prayer or the closing prayer. And nothing, nothing wrong with those times. We should have those times. But there are other times when we, and I say that sometimes collectively, have someone in the family that, that we just need to pour ourselves out. We prayed for the Block family, and we prayed for the Oakley family. We prayed for many families. We pour ourselves into that prayer. And this is one of those times when Hannah is. Now, uh, she's learning in that moment uh, this very basic principle of prayer, number one. You've got to ask. I know it's not in First Samuel. 
But turn to the verse that you know that probably know I'm going to, Matthew chapter 7. You wouldn't mind to go back just one slide, please. Matthew chapter 7, verse 7 and following. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. The one who seeks, finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be open. Now, we'll come back to that verse here in a minute. But we need to understand that just because in the, in the text, you know, everyone who asks, receives. I mean, it's the very next word, right? Everyone who seeks, finds. And the one who knocks, it will be opened. And we read that as the two are connected. Yes, they are connected. But there can be some time in between those two words, and there often is. And it's in, in the, the time that we have a hard, we, remember, we have to remember that God is outside of time. We are, unfortunately, bound by it in many ways. And God works outside of time, so when you ask, you will receive, but in the right time. When you seek, you will find in the right time. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened at the right time. There are times when we ask and we don't receive. And we wonder, did I do something wrong? Is there some, some plan at work here that God does not see fit for me to have? It could be. The danger is when we don't get it our way, more precisely, if we don't get it in the timing that we want, we can get in the danger of saying, you know, I'm just going to stop asking. And that's, that's a very, very dangerous place to be. We feel like either God, we don't want to trouble God, or even worse, that maybe God does not care or that he doesn't hear. Hannah, fortunately, didn't fall down this spiral, but... Uh, she taught us a lesson that we need to keep in mind, that when you have trouble, and you will, when you have a situation that's beyond your own solving, and you will, when you face loss, when you've lost something or someone, and you will, we don't stop asking. When you have times of deep sorrow and deep anguish, you don't stop asking. You ask, you seek, you knock, and remember that the timing is in his hands. James chapter 4. Verses 2 and 3. <clears throat> what causes quarrels, and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire, and you do not have, so you murder. You covet, and you cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have, because you do not ask God. It's a very simple 
basic premise that I almost hate to bring to a Sunday night crowd. But may we not forget that, especially in times of the anguish, we need to keep asking. It's this, it's this where receiving begins, is in the asking. And if we do not have, it's because we do not ask God. Now, some sit here tonight and say, well, I've asked God. I've asked God in every way that I know to ask God, and I still don't have. And to that I answer, we wait and we trust. And this is the second point here. Asking requires, uh, asking is hard because asking requires humility. Humility, as Hannah would freely admit, is acknowledging that the problem is beyond you. This is hard for type A's, control freaks, people who just, they don't like to sit around and watch problems. They, they do something about the problem. Um, if, if I'm going on a walking path and I see a piece of trash, it makes me a little mad that some jerk threw that out the window and their attitude essentially was, well, somebody else will fix it. But I'll fix it because I don't like to be a person who sees a problem without doing something about it. And that's fine. But there are some problems that I believe God gives us that he puts beyond our ability to rectify, to ameliorate, to make better, to make whole, and to fix on our own. We, we need those problems because they give us a great understanding of who we are and who we are not. And what our limitations are and what God's are not. Now, we do have to ask humbly, with humility. That's very important. But let me pause to say that I do not believe that asking humbly means asking little of God. I think our problem is rarely that we ask too much of God but often that we ask too little. We say, well, if I ask too much of God, am I being prideful? Am I being, well, if it's for your glory, yes. But if it's his, for his glory, there's, there's no, no mountain too much that you can't ask for, that he won't conquer for you. Hannah poured out herself in prayer to ask a big thing of God. I was pouring out my soul to the Lord. We have to remember that Hannah was a very misunderstood woman. Now, we don't misunderstand her because we see that we get the advantage of perspective. We can read before and after and what eventually she would have this child and what this child would grow up to be and what he would do. And that's wonderful. She didn't have that perspective. And neither, neither did the people around her. Her husband misunderstood. But don't I mean more to you, he said which may be one of the chief of insensitive remarks. It's not about you. Uh, her rival, Paniah, she said, you know, what's wrong with you? Surely, surely there must be some sin in your life. Surely God is not with you. I mean, he's given me the children, obviously. She just provokes her and goads her. Even the high priest, the man of God, believed she was just a drunkard. She could have easily, and for good reason, 
assumed that God would also misunderstand. Just because you're misunderstood by human beings does not mean that God misunderstands. And we not forget. So she poured out her heart to the only one who truly understood. The depth of her anguish and her sadness, her sorrow, the, 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 the lack that she had every time she saw another woman her age with a young child. God understood that. He felt that. And he had something better in mind. And she had, as we said this morning, no eye has conceived, no ear has heard, what God has in mind for those who love him. So when you face struggles, pray humbly. Uh, Hannah prayed through her tears. And she prayed with, with tears not just coming out of her eyes, tears of anguish in her heart. When you face struggles, you can basically try to handle those struggles in one of three ways. The first is... You can say, God, I don't want to bother you with this. I'll just handle it myself. The Levering household, we call this do self, um, which is just a thing from both of our children when they were growing up and they were younger. They, they came to this age, probably about age three or so. And, you know, you're at that parenting stage where you're trying to help them either, you know, pick up the cup or, or, or do something. And they just say, no, do self. Many years ago, I remember little Joshua Oakley. and He was probably five, six, seven years old in the talent show at family camp. And he was trying to lead us all in a song. I think it was Light the Fire. And he gets up there, little Josh, you know, and he starts to lead it, and he's, he's off, he forgot the words. And so the audience was trying to, you know, we were all trying to sing so he would, you know, get the tune and get the words and all that. And I, I will never forget just, just, just a proud little Josh saying, no, 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 I don't need any help. There's a lot of people of faith like that. When you ask them, how can I pray for you? They give you a, sort of a, a shallowy answer. If they need help, they certainly don't want you coming over to their home to give them help. And that's not humility, that's pride. So there, there are, there's the first way of trying to handle your problems, which is I want to do it myself. Well, to be gentle, because I'm one of these people. But if you're determined to do it yourself, for what purpose are you a part of the body of Christ? That's the whole reason we are a part of the body of Christ is because God has determined, yes, you are a part but the eye needs the hand as the ear needs the foot. I mean, it all works together. And who are you to think that you're so great that you don't need any help? Not picking on Josh Oakley. He just gave me the words that gave me the thought. Don't be a person of faith who tries to do it yourself. God gave us the body and he gave us the avenue of prayer for a reason. So use it and utilize it. Number two, you can ask the Lord to just handle everything for you. Uh, this is what I call the magic fairy. Um, there 
are people in life, and you know who they are, that they're the other end of the spectrum. They're the opposite of do self. I mean, they want, they are more than happy to let other people fix their problems. And this is where dysfunctionality gets, comes into play in relationships and families. Is it, yeah, I've got some problems, and yeah, will you help me with that? Well, yeah, you know, just, they want nothing to do with, they just want you to fix it for them. And that's not good either. So between do self and the magic fairy, where you just say, hey God, I got this problem, and then you just go on your merry way and, and expect God to do it all, I think there's a balanced view And this is the third option. You do what only you can do. And you ask God to do what you can't. You do what you can do. And you ask God to do what you are unable to do. What is beyond your ability. 1 Peter 5, 6 and 7. Humble yourselves, therefore. It's telling, speaking to the do-selfers out there. Humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God so that the proper time he may exalt you. Casting all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. When we cast our burdens to him on the, the part of it that only he can address... And we're doing the best that we can to you know, whatever the problem might be. Then we're working together, hand in hand with the Lord. We're praying and working, working and praying. Faith and works go together. So asking, we've got to ask. The second thing is that asking requires humility. Understanding who you are not and understanding who God is. And the third is understanding Uh, That when we ask God, we show that we are trusting God. Why does God make us ask? Why does God make us ask for anything? God knows you. The psalm says that before a word is formed on your tongue, he knows it. Um, It's not too much of a stretch to say before you have a thought, he knows it. So why do we have to ask Why doesn't God just give us the thing we need before we need it? Fix the problem before we get to the point where we realize we have a problem. Because in this whole game of free will, it's in the asking where we show humbly that we trust him. That we really do. That we believe he is the... The almighty, the all-powerful, the all-knowing, mighty God in heaven. And we can address him through Christ. We can address him as Father. C.S. Lewis said, who dares to ask the king for a glass of water in the middle of the night? Only the king's child. Do I understand we understand the power of God, but also the tenderness of God. And when we ask him, we, like little children, are showing our trust in him. We're, we're, we're pouring ourselves and yielding and, and allowing ourselves to be vulnerable to trust that whatever, however he answers that, is the right answer. 
It's a beautiful quote by C.S. Lewis. I don't remember if C.S. Lewis had any children or not, but I have been on the side of that where my wonderful, kind children have asked me for 14 cups of water. And I don't doubt that they're thirsty, but at some point I say, no, you don't need any more water. It's time for you to rest. You see? I gave them an answer different on the fourth cup of water than I did on the first. They asked me because they trusted me. And they trusted both answers. The yes, here's a cup of water. And on the fourth one, no, that's enough water. Go to sleep before I put you to sleep. Now, go back to Matthew chapter 7. Remember, if everyone who asks receives, the one who seeks finds, to the one who knocks it will be opened. Verse 9, this is why we ask him. Or which of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children... How much more will your Father, who is in heaven, give good things to those who ask him? You see, when we ask him, we're putting our hearts in a vulnerable position. But here's the thing. We only put our hearts in a vulnerable position with people that we trust. All of us have some level of guardedness. If you come into the building... And I greet you, and I say, well, how was your week? Now, you may have had the most terrible week. You're really struggling with a sin. You, you've, you've tried again and again, and, and, and it just got you this week, and you really feel guilty and terrible, and it, or maybe you have a family issue or a relationship issue. Something's just gone horribly. But in that moment, when I come up to you as the preacher, and I ask, how are you? You'll say, I'm fine. Or give me other superficial niceties. Why? Because there's a level of guardedness there. That for, for various reasons, you don't trust me with that information. And um, this is what I love about Celebrate Recovery. They, they work to break down this guardedness. Get beyond the superficialities. And, and talk about really how they're doing. Now, you can really have a fine week, and I'm not judging you if you tell me you're doing fine and all that. Don't jump ahead of me there, okay? The point is that we only allow ourselves to be real and vulnerable with people whom we trust. And when that trust is abused, or when people, you know, you give them an answer that's honest and vulnerable, and they just drop it, That's the last time they'll do that. We build up guardedness over time. The danger is in doing that with God. May we not be guarded with God. First um, John chapter 5. Verses 14 and 15. This is the confidence 
we have toward him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And we know that he hears us in whatever we ask. And we know that we have the requests that we have asked of him. When we trust him with our asks, we must also trust him with his answers. If you ask God for a snake, do not expect that he will answer that in the affirmative. God wants to give you only what will be a blessing to you. Sometimes our asking is asking for something that God knows in the long run of things will harm us and hurt us and drive a wedge between he and us. And so he says no so that we might be kept from harm. Now no is not often the answer we want to hear, but we in the asking trust God with the answer. The text in 1 Samuel says the Lord remembered her. The Lord remembered Hannah. Verse 20. And in due time, Hannah conceived and bore a son and called his name Samuel. For she said, I have asked for him from the Lord. I love what Tim Keller said about asking and trusting God in prayer. He said, we can be sure that our answers That our prayers are answered precisely in the way we would want them to be answered if we knew everything that God knows. Our prayers are answered precisely in the way we would want them to be answered if we knew everything that God knows. Of course, that's the big if, so we have to trust him. So what's our takeaway from this lesson you got to ask. God's grace to Samuel was, of course, or to Hannah was, of course, little baby Samuel. Now, the cool thing that I love about this is that Hannah, this barren woman who had had no children, then takes this gift of grace. We're not going to get into the fullness of this story, but what does she do? She offers that little boy back to the Lord. To work alongside Eli and to learn to be the priest that would bring in the kings, Saul and David and Solomon. I mean, the the whole purpose came from her not just receiving grace, but responding to grace. And, And not just saying, oh, thank you for this son. Oh, thank you. I'm so happy now I can show all my friends and and be a part and be accepted now. Now I get to, what did she do? She took that and offered him right back to the Lord. What a powerful and beautiful gift she gave. God can easily raise up prophets, but he raised up Samuel precisely because Hannah called out, Hannah cried out, Hannah poured herself out and trusted God. No doubt, no doubt did did God need a prophet like that. For his people. And so from a mother who would do that came a son who would do exactly the same as he grew and matured in the service of God. His people still need to ask him. We need to ask boldly. There's nothing too big that we can't ask of God, but humbly. 
and, and acknowledging that we don't know all that God knows. And we don't understand the timeline that God surely understands. We ask him to show our trust. And the trust, by the way, is not in how he answers. The trust is in him. When we as children of God ask of God, we show our trust in him regardless of the answer. Hebrews 4.16 says, Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. You see, God gave Hannah grace precisely in her time of need because she approached the throne of grace confidently. May we do that as well. In the things that we have, the problems that we have, in the things that we need, may we ask, may we seek, may we knock, humbly yet boldly. May we learn the lesson that Hannah taught so well. Jesus is, of course, the greatest provision of a son ever provided. And he was made not just uh, so that we would have a Lord, but that we would have a Savior. If you do not know him, or have you not obeyed the gospel to begin following him in the journey toward heaven, you can do that tonight, and we will ask that you do. If you would like to respond in that way or have any other need, please meet me down front. We'll be glad to help you in whatever way we can as together we stand and sing.